Go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds on politics, offering insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Join me, Tyler Foggett, for conversations with the most knowledgeable minds from The New Yorker that will dive deep on the most interesting political story of the week. Then, Susan Glasser, Jane Mayer, and Evan Osnos gather to hash out what's happening in Washington, D.C., with an insider's understanding of the high stakes at this perilous moment for American democracy. Plus, our editor David Remnick will provide you with insightful storytelling with a mix of interviews and profiles. That's all happening on the political scene. Make sure you're following it now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jason Kander. And I'm Robbie Gupta. And this is Majority 54, the podcast for meaningful conversations that change minds, change votes, and win elections. Uh, later in this episode, we will have Lauren Bear from Arena joining us. Uh, but right now, we have our friend Al Franken. Uh, you already know Al, but I'll tell you, Al is a former U.S. Senator from Minnesota, one of the original writers on SNL, uh, my good friend, the host of uh, the aptly named Al Franken podcast, uh, and all around pretty funny and smart. Uh, and uh, Al, thanks for being here. Uh, my pleasure. All right. Robbie, what are we talking about? Well, Al, we, we originally booked you for today because we thought it was going to be a pretty rough day, and so we wanted you to cheer up our audience. But uh, let's celebrate a little bit. We we heard a lot about a red wave. Uh, Al, what are you, what's your assessment here? Red wave? Red trickle? Mist? What the hell happened, Al? How did we survive? You know, it's funny. So yesterday... Uh, CNN asked me to be on uh, during a dead uh, area uh, from noon to four. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to like do the thing where you sit in the chair from noon to four. And no, no, I didn't have to sit in the chair. They just brought me in every once in a while oh, okay. with Asa Hutchison from uh, from uh, the governor of Arkansas. And so we would I think we did three or four segments. And so uh, Aaron Burnett is, uh, was interviewing us and Asa is a Republican. And they were basically going, well, I guess it's going to be a red wave. And I was, I'm on from noon to four on election day. And all I want is for Democrats who are watching to make sure they vote. <laughs> and I'm going like, you know what? We don't know it's going to be. A, we don't know because uh, polling's terrible. And and look at, look at these Senate races. They're all incredibly tight. We don't know there's going to be a red wave at all. And there's the, here's all the reasons to vote and blah, blah, blah. And now I look like a fuck, fucking genius if you go back. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? I, was, I didn't necessarily even believe what That's I was saying. I was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I thought strategically that was the thing. I mean, what, why say anything else, right? Yeah. And also it, it had the virtue of, I mean, I was saying polling is crappy. We know that it's just not accurate. We they, they anymore as and it was uh, it was inaccurate in the wrong way in sixteen. It was inaccurate in the wrong way kind of in twenty. It was kind of accurate in eighteen. I mean, uh, we just don't know. And so, yeah, I, I um, they're never going to replay that, and hardly anyone <laughs> hardly anyone saw it. But uh, nevertheless, well, no, some people were like, well, maybe I should go vote, and uh, and that's yeah, good. like. Yeah, and any election where eight 
votes meant the difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've won by 12, right? 312. 312. 312. Sorry. 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 I, I docked you 300 votes. Um, <laughs> but all right. Let me ask this about that. Why did this happen? Like, why, why are we still breathing here? Like, what do you think? Because I'll tell you, like, I was like, just kind of preparing myself to like watch a movie I enjoyed last night or something. Um, yeah. And uh, turned out it, it wasn't as horrific as I thought. Well, let me, let me add one thing. Cause we're three dudes. Uh, Cause I saw Jane Mayer tweet right before this, that she's sick of guys going on TV and saying, and skipping over the Dobbs and abortion yeah, part yeah. of this. So I think we should probably start there and say that that obviously yeah. made a humongous difference here. Like a lot of the exit polling showed this was the number one issue in the exit poll I saw from Pennsylvania. So Al, what's your sense of how much that resonated? Because I think there was this conventional wisdom that that sentiment faded from the summer. Well, now I'm going to go back and tell you another uh, time I, I sounded brilliant. And <laughs> that was uh, about a week ago, I did my first live in front of an audience uh, podcast. And I did it with Axelrod, uh, David Axelrod, and uh, with Cecile Richards. And again, I was in front of an audience and it's before the election. So I'm going like, I'm not going to, I'm going to say, we don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to say, and I'm with Cecile, mm-hmm. which is, uh, there was a really great moment in it with uh, Axelrod says to her, something like, well, most uh, people know you as, and then he didn't know what to say. And she said, the abortion lady. <laughs> and And he was going like, isn't it, during the summer, Dobbs made this difference, and there was this thing. But then, every, did everyone put too much stake in that? And she she returned by saying, "It's an incredibly important issue, <laughs> and important, and obviously to me. But women think about more things than that. And of course, abortion is an economic issue, and uh, so it resonates more than just. I mean, it 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 it, it is an economic issue." And so basically, she and I were saying, this is actually having an effect. But but Axelrod was saying, no, you guys are overdoing, uh, overdoing this. And we're going, are we? I don't, eh, eh. So I look brilliant there, too. So everyone's got to go back and to look see at my, how brilliant uh, genius. Because yeah. now I'm going to be stupid today. <laughs> I, I think uh, that it felt like the momentum slowed or at least the outrage cooled out of Dobbs. But you know what? Maybe it felt like that to people who were digesting it through a political lens. Like I'm a dude. I was digesting (laughs) it through a political lens. That's something that we Democrats should be caring about. And, and what we should be talking about is, is early childhood education. That's the kind of shit we should be talking about. And like when we were talking about economics and, First of all, look look what we did. We we passed the Inflation Reduction Act. We we did this stuff, and Biden, as a midterm president, is like exceeding everybody else in terms of how he did. So yeah. what I mean, this is really amazing. Now we don't know. Again, we don't know how Nevada is turning out. We don't know necessarily how Arizona is turning out. We don't know how Georgia's going to turn out. So I don't want to be, you know, dancing holly golly on, on the Republicans. Grace just let us know here that uh, Warnock and Walker, we just learned, are officially heading to a runoff. Oh, wow. Uh, there we so. go. And speaking of which, can I say something about that? Unite Here, you know what Unite Here is? Mm-hmm, yeah. Unite Here are the hospitality workers. 
And the hospitality workers this cycle were in Nevada and Arizona and Pennsylvania, big time Pennsylvania. So thank for them. They're the hospitality workers. They, when I say they're in, they were door knocking. And in the last runoff, they knocked on over a million doors in Georgia. And they're heading to Georgia right now. And so I want your uh, listeners to contribute to Unite Here so they can put more boots on the ground. And just to put some color on what you talked about, Al, you know, essentially, since this is the best performance, even on the worst scenario of the outstanding races, the best performance of an incumbent president in a midterm since Bush's 2002, which was the sort of rally around the flag race. Uh, but let's talk about yeah, the- 9-11 and war. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about the Republicans really quickly here, because there is this looming showdown between Trump and DeSantis. And what I thought- I thought we were going to be waking up to all these pre-written pieces about what the future of the Democratic Party was going to be and all the soul searching that we're going to need to do. I think a lot of people just had to put those away. And what I'm now seeing are long Ben Shapiro tweet threads and national review uh, pieces where they're actually starting to come out now too little too late against Trump. A lot of this sort of bow tie wearing crowd within the Republican Party and it seems like they're coalescing at the grass tops level around DeSantis now. I don't think that the party is run at the grass tops level anymore here. But, you know, DeSantis is positioning himself and his supporters as somebody who performed so well. I mean, he he really kicked ass in Florida. I think he won by 20 points or something. It was like a historic win in Florida. And Trump is being blamed for a lot of the candidate choice. Now, I think we could spend some time on how like there's a lot of blame to go around and Trump is an easy scapegoat in the Republicans. But how should we view this showdown? I'm, I'm enjoying it at right now, and I think I, you know, seeing Trump a little bit vulnerable. He looks like he's going to announce on Tuesday his presidential run. Alec, how are you seeing this? Are you enjoying this this looming showdown, or have you not really turned your gaze to it yet? I, I'm not sure. I, I I'm afraid of what I wish for sometimes because we've learned, you know, in sixteen I thought that that was a guarantee that we would win. And then also before this election, I was very concerned that it would be a wave and that they'd elect secretaries of state who are deniers and that it would be all set up for 24 <laughs> and that we were going to lose our democracy um, very soon. I'm now hope more hopeful about that. That's a big deal when you're worried about losing your democracy. And it's a big deal when one night's results are like, phew, okay, we're going to go. Maybe we'll go another 200 years. I, I, I don't, I, feel like I don't we, know. I feel like we forced a game seven. That's what I feel. Yeah, that's, there you go. That's, yeah. I think that's the Over better time. analogy. Over time. Uh, but yeah, because I, of late, I've been thinking like, I've always thought like we're close to a tipping point. We're going to lose our democracy. And then I've started to realize lately, like maybe the tipping point has already happened. And I'm thinking like, okay, or maybe there were a lot of tipping points and citizens United certainly was one of them. Right. In 2010. And, and then 2010 also were the, these elections, uh, these state elections in like, Wisconsin and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan, uh, where after that census, they were able to uh, gerrymander the states. And 
then uh, 13, there was Shelby County. And of course, in 16, uh, Garland, and they're, they're taking the court. And, and then, of course, Trump winning. I'm thinking like, okay, maybe actually it's kind of over. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm, and then after Paul Pelosi gets attacked, I'm seeing all these Republicans going like, well, we don't know the whole story. Uh, maybe it was a male pro. I mean, my God, it's ugly. My God. And I was just despairing. And last night is a bit of a reprieve from that. But boy, I, I do agree. Yeah, we've we've got the seventh game. It's kind of like a question of, is it not as far gone as we thought? Or is it like, yeah, we've lost democracy, but our chance of getting it back is much greater than we thought. Maybe it's, it's almost somewhere like in there because, yeah. um, you know, the ads that were run this time, uh, Mark Leibovich, who now writes for the Atlantic Monthly, wrote for the New York Times for years and years. I was talking to him and, you know, Moore's law, which is that computer uh, speed doubles every year, chip, something like that. Okay. He said there's like a Moore's law in how ugly the ads are, yeah. <laughs> that every cycle it just gets twice as ugly. And these were, this year, the ones on crime yeah. were unbelievable. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I'm guessing this is a week where you've had a fair amount of anxiety, and uh, that could continue. Like We're not out of the woods in this election uh, by any by any stretch. Uh, and so if you're having that anxiety, if, if you're not feeling quite right, therapy is a, is a very good option, particularly if you've never tried it before, or if you just are like, I need a more convenient way to do this, and that's where BetterHelp can really make a difference. And as the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you could easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash M54. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash M54. Sticking with the theme of you might have reason to get a little bit of support in staying calm, we'd like to tell you about Calm. We're partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. You can reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditations, improve your focus with curated music tracks and rest, and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories, which are incredible. And they have some really cool special guests who walk you through those stories. And those are for children and adults. And there's even new daily movement sessions designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. If you go to calm.com slash M54, you'll get a special offer of 40% off a of Calm premium subscription and new content is added every week. Over 1 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. Calm is ready to help you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier, healthier life. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash M54. Go to calm.com slash M54 for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash M54. Trump is by all accounts, freaking out today. Jim Acosta, Maggie Haberman, all these people who are sort of Trump followers are reporting that he's like yelling at people around him. He blamed his wife for the Oz endorsement. 
uh, which I don't even understand how that works. God, he's yelling at people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I just I I want to look out for audience here. I feel like that they want a little of that today. They want to that see. That must be rough to be around him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I I think that this is personally like I I agree on all this the the democracy being in peril and all that. But I do want to take a brief reprieve from all of that to say. Our enemies are a bit frazzled today. They're turning on each other. We know, like, we've all been through this game before where they're on their heels and they're incredibly capable villains and they'll be right back on their feet causing hell in no time. But I have to say, just to take a pause, I, I'm really enjoying uh, the infighting going on on the Republican side, especially given that I was expecting it on our side. How, how did they? How did he end up yelling at his wife? Like, did they end up I'll in read the cafeteria at the same time? Like, I don't even. I'll read it to you. This I is Maggie they... Haberman. Uh, well, he, there was this different thing about the yelling. This is Jim Acosta. Trump is livid, screaming at everyone after last night's disappointing midterm results. And uh, according to an advisor, the advisor went on to slam the former president's handpicked contenders. They're all bad candidates, he said. Now, Maggie Haberman said, Trump is indeed furious this morning, particularly about Oz, and is blaming everyone who advised him to back Oz, including his wife, describing it, describing it as not her best decision. I mean, what a guy this That's guy is. That's not yelling at his wife. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm just thrilled to hear, for their benefit, I'm thrilled to hear they still talk. I didn't know I guess that. he was yelling at the advisors, not at the wife. Good question. Jason, I don't know about your podcast, but in my podcast, we report <laughs> oh, God. scrupulously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is my nightmare. This is <laughs> we are, this is we hold nightmare, ourselves Al. to a very high bar. <laughs> yeah. And to suggest that this man... Donald Trump was yelling at his wife. I mean, that is, that's, that's not how we play. <laughs> yeah. Um, my favorite way that Al's ever sold his podcast was, it's like the daily without the resources of the New York Times. <laughs> well, well, let's, get, let's let, I do think it's important to talk about what important caveat to everything, which is Florida. DeSantis Looks like he's set to win by about 20 points. This is beyond the performance both he and any other Republican has had in recent memory. It looks like it looks like he he carried Miami-Dade County. Any sense of what the issue is here? Because both Rubio also did extremely well. We also lost congressional races, which we could chalk up to some redistricting. But- do we have any theories here about what's can going I, on? Can Florida? I run my theory from last night by Al here, which is yeah, go for which it. is a very simple uh, and probably not a very good theory, which is that you know Florida used to be this very swingy state when old people were more reliably democratic because they were like voting for things like social security and Medicare and that kind of thing. And now it seems like old people are more reliably grouchy and nostalgic for how things used to be. And I don't know, that feels like it explains Florida to me. But Old people were also uh, then more reliably Jewish. In Florida or just in general? <laughs> in Florida. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, see, there, that's a huge, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, remember Scott Walker? Remember how big a deal he was after Wisconsin? You know, maybe DeSantis is the new S Scott Walker. We don't know, you know, yeah, he had a good night. I mean, obviously- and uh, Trump had a bad night, but I just 
am worried about drawing too much from this. You know, the other thing about that is, is that whether you end up with Trump as the leader of the Republican Party or not, you're going to have Trump as the loudest person in the Republican Party. They're going to as long as he's around, they're going to consistently have to comment on what he says. When he's not around, they're going to have to consistently comment on what his idiot son says. And on top of that, like in order to beat him, they have to out Trump him. Right. So you kind of end up with the same nasty uh, thing that can turn off a lot of voters regardless, because they have to become him in order to defeat him, don't they? I, you know, I and what's really weird is, let's say he doesn't like he tries to get the nomination and doesn't. He'll just wreck do you, everything. Do you, do you think he'll support the Republican nominee? No. I mean, it'll, and also. He'll like switch parties. <laughs> also, think about this. You know, he's going to get indicted. <laughs> I yeah. think. And, well, I, I do think that there's this world where Trump gets indicted and DeSantis is going to do this thing where he's going to castigate the liberals for indicting him and secretly cheer it on, obviously. Like, he would be the greatest beneficiary. Uh, being indicted may help him more than anything. Right. Well, it's probably right. why he's got to announce for president so soon, right? It's because he doesn't want to announce for president after he's indicted because yeah. <laughs> people will be like, he's just trying to get executive privilege again. So he's got to be like, no, I've been, I've been running, you know, for a long time. There right. is a debate though. There, they are these various sort of Trump whisper reporters are reporting that there's a big debate about whether he should go ahead with his announcement on Tuesday. I think everything we know about Trump is that he's, a, he is a stubborn guy uh, who's just not really going to take the feedback and he's going to move forward is my guess, but who knows? If I'm Trump, I, I announce as soon as possible because if I don't, then I don't get to say when I get indicted, look, they're trying to stop me, yeah. right? Like I, I've got to be running for president when I get indicted so that I can claim that it's, you know, more fully claim it's a political indictment. Yeah, I think that's good thinking. I yeah. think that. That's smart politics uh, in 2022. Uh, <laughs> announce yeah. before you're indicted. Yeah. <laughs> That's almost a po political rule. Yeah. <laughs> That's the title of my next book. <laughs> Announce before you're indicted. And other rules for modern American politics. <laughs> I want to ask you about the House. It looks like the best case scenario for Republicans is a narrower majority in the House than they were expecting. It could be six to seven seats. A lot of people like Tim Alberta are reporting that this really could mean... Uh, McCarthy is in trouble and he's going to have to wrangle a majority that has a lot of infighting and a lot of weirdos like Marjorie Taylor Greene. You spent some time there. Like, how does this even work? Like, how is this vote going to go down? It probably looks like they're going to have a smaller, uh, exactly what you said, a smaller than they thought majority. And I've heard it said that that puts McCarthy in a tougher position than if he had a larger one because the MAGA people will have, have the power to screw him over. So it's, it, it could be really ugly. And, you know, I, I they'll do hearings. They'll do hearings on uh, Hunter Biden, and then they'll probably do hearings on uh, Joe Biden. They'll come up with something, right? The, the one thing I'm most worried about is the debt limit. And they have threatened basically to hold the debt limit hostage uh, to make cuts in Medicare and Social Security. They haven't said they're definitely going to do that, but they've talked a lot about it. And Scalise has talked about it. And McCarthy has talked about it. And Rick Scott ran 
saying that we should bring up Social Security, Medicare every five years for renewal. That was <laughs> and, a genius move, by the way. Yes. By and that, and uh, Ron Johnson was basically saying doing every year. Mm-hmm. But the debt ceiling is the because I went lived through that. We did this in 2011. And that puts the entire world economy in jeopardy because, you know, the dollar is the world's currency. And if you if you don't raise the debt limit, we will default and it'll just cause a worldwide crisis, economic crisis, like maybe we've never seen or haven't seen in a long time. And so that's a gun they'll hold to Biden's head. And I've been there. I mean, the the House did it. And that's only when they had only the House. They used this in 2011 to get cuts, to get mm-hmm. the sequester, to, you know, force Obama to agree to spending cuts that were, that hurt the economic recovery. It reminds me of the scene in Blazing Saddles where the sheriff takes himself hostage. <laughs> yeah it's they're like no he'll, he'll do so. it <laughs> yeah all right al um yeah, just like the bonus. last time i did your podcast and mm-hmm. uh like our regular conversations i'm not sure what we accomplished here but i had a great time yeah we always have a great time i always have a great time with you yeah thanks for doing this um i really appreciate it. everybody can listen to al's podcast which is what's the name of it again it's the eponymous podcast <laughs> And uh, that means it's the Al Franken podcast. <laughs> yeah. Don't try to spell eponymous. Okay. Thank you very much. Jason, I'm gearing up for a month and a half away in Costa Rica, which is coming up. And as part of that, I'm just trying to get back into surfing shape, doing all kinds of stuff like Pilates and things like that. And it's tough. It's tough on the nervous system. But there's one thing that helps me get through that every single day. One wild guess. So what that is. AG1. Yes. Took me one guess. Well, congratulations. Uh, if, if you're new to this podcast, you might not know what we're talking about. This is AG1 from Athletic Greens, which allows you to absorb 25 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This is a special blend of ingredients to support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all the things. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, really important this time of year. Year and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash majority. Again, it's athleticgreens.com slash majority to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Election night is come and gone, but everyone is still trying to make sense of what happened. The media plays a major role in framing the story. And that could look very different depending on which news outlets you read. That's why we love our partner, Ground News, so much. This app and website shows you which media outlets are reporting on a story and lets you swipe between headlines to see what's being emphasized, exaggerated, or left out. So this story is a perfect example. From one perspective, we have CNN telling us voting rights advocates report mostly smooth election day voting across the U.S. Meanwhile, the Washington Times is telling us that a vote counting problem hit machines in Arizona's Maricopa County and officials were scrambling to fix it. Interestingly, those two things, not necessarily mutually exclusive, but it's a question of what you emphasize, which is what Ground News points out. 
Yeah, and with Ground News, you can compare articles from more than 30 different sources reporting on this very issue to figure out what is going on. It helps you stay up to date in the latest news and recognize not just where we're divided, but where we might be able to find some common ground. Go to ground.news slash M54 or click the link in the show notes to get 15% off any subscription for as little as $1 a month. That's ground.news slash M54. Well, now on to one of my favorite people, uh, somebody I love so much that I handed her the baton to help run or run Arena, uh, Lauren Bear, uh, who is the managing partner of Arena, an organization that trains and supports the next generation of progressive staff members. Uh, Lauren and I go back to law school. She was also a candidate for Congress in Florida in 2018 and worked in the national security diplomacy world in the Obama administration. She's a star and she had a lot to do with some key results from last night. Lauren, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for that glowing introduction, Robbie. <laughs> well, Lauren, give us give us a little bit of the highlights of both the work that you've been doing at Arena and just some of these amazing state legislative results that we've seen in places like Michigan, North Carolina, et cetera, where we played some defense and also had some critical offense. Yeah. I mean, so first of all, waking up this morning, my first thought was, you know, this is a good day for Democrats, big D Democrats and, and small D Democrats as well. Because I think when you look at what happened both at the federal and the state ledge, um, level uh, last night, uh, it, it looks like um, fundamental freedoms and protecting them actually matters to people, that protecting democracy matters, and that, that people are willing to, to fight for it. And, you know, as always, most of the talk has been federal races top of the ticket, but at ARENA, our focus has been um, at the stage ledge level um, in an area where Republicans have been playing offense for 40 something years and Dems are finally waking up to the fact um, that these chambers are just fundamentally critical to protecting our rights and freedoms, everything from abortion rights, voting rights, climate change, uh, gun violence prevention. And, you know, what we saw yesterday were some really key offensive and defensive victories. So uh, a huge check in the win column for us is the state of Michigan, where you saw us regain um, both chambers for the first time since the 1980s, giving us a trifecta of Democratic control there. Same thing in, in Minnesota. And then also in a handful of key states like Wisconsin, North Carolina, you've seen us prevent Republican supermajorities, which to some folks might not seem like a win, but it's really huge in a context where Democratic governors and their veto power is really the only thing protecting residents of those states from right-wing extremism. Can I add to that, like as somebody who served in a legislature both before and after there was a veto-proof Republican majority, and I was there while we had a Democratic governor. Like it's it's the whole ball game. Like it's it's the it's the difference in you know in North Carolina's Republicans being able to just sort of seal off everything and make it where a comeback is almost impossible, and you know hope of that staying alive. Like after uh, Cooper was elected governor, the Republicans in North Carolina were like, "Yeah, we're just going to like take away." 
like all your powers before you take office. They you so this would be like if they had the ability to do that all the time. Um, so it's a, it, I agree, it's a huge deal that won't get much play. Exactly, and I would say you know beyond that, in in some of these states, the only reason Republicans are even in a position to potentially have a supermajority is because they are so so heavily gerrymandered in terms of how the districts are drawn. That's why you end up with these results where you have a Democratic governor in a statewide election, but overwhelming Republican control at the state ledge level. And so what this really is, is a sort of last and final check to make sure that policy in some way aligns with the will of the people on just critically important issues to everyone's day-to-day lives. Yeah, and Lauren, just to layer in some other good news, we gained a supermajority in the Vermont House and Senate, and then we held our majorities in the Colorado House and Senate, Maine House and Senate, New Mexico House, Washington Senate, and Minnesota House. So just like pretty good stuff across the board. Obviously, there's also top of ticket stuff. We talk about governors like Tony Evers, uh, like Gretchen Whitmer, like Jared Polis. We got a lot of our people reelected, and then we flipped some critical yeah. gubernatorial mansions like Maryland with Wes. Yeah. And, and there are also, I want, I want to call attention to two state ledge chambers that you didn't mention there on, on that list, Robbie, because votes are still being counted, um, Arizona and Pennsylvania. So, you know, Arizona, we are still just two seats away from taking control in the House and the Senate there. Votes are obviously still being counted. Um, but that would be, you know, hugely important, especially given how critical that state is likely to be in terms of results in a 2024 presidential election. And then in Pennsylvania, of course, where we saw the big Shapiro and Fetterman wins last night uh, for the first time in quite a long time because of fair maps, actually, the Pennsylvania House might be in, in play and we might be positioned to win that. And this is actually a really good place to mention Arena's investment because what we have done in state-ledged chambers is taken staff members that we have trained, fully paid for their salaries on benefits on what we consider to be the most critical state legislative races that are understaffed. So we did this on four races in Pennsylvania. We already know that we've won three or four, three out of four. And in the fourth, there's currently a 26 vote margin between the two candidates. Oh my God. This could be the tipping seat in terms of who controls the Pennsylvania House. And when you're making a small investment and you're putting someone on that race who's running field, that's determining who gets the majority eventually. Uh, And that's huge. For people who don't know, it's not easy to get really skilled and experienced people in state legislative races because they tend to want to go to maybe lower ranking jobs that look better on a resume because they're congressional races and that kind of thing. So it is a a huge difference. Talk for a minute, if you would, about what you feel all this means in terms of like the future. And what I mean by the future, I mean, look, what you're doing at Arena, you know, going back to Ravi's original vision is let's take people who think they might want to be engaged, people like the folks who ended up working on those legislative races you mentioned, and let's give them the tools to be engaged either as staffers or as candidates. It's basically like millennials and Gen Z. So my so my question is, what are you seeing out there that would give you an indication of what the next few years can look like? Look, I I think the future is in young people's hands, 
right now. And if this election proved anything, it's that pundits don't decide elections before election days. Polls don't decide elections before election day. Turnout decides election. Good candidates, solid teams on the ground doing the work. And, you know, my message to folks and the work that we are doing is if you are heartened um, at all by the results of these elections, now's the time to begin fighting for 2024. I think what last night shows is that we do have uh, a fighting chance and that momentum is on our side, but we're not playing on a level of the playing field with Republicans. There's gerrymandering, there's voter suppression. It's really effectively going to be hand-to-hand combat to win back the power that we need to make the rules fair again. And that's going to require all of us to to be engaged and and doing the work. So here at Arena, uh, we're training folks to to get in the game. If any of your listeners are interested, they can find us at arena.run or at Arena Summit on social. Uh, But for us, uh, you know, the next election cycle starts now and we're going to be doing the work and I encourage everyone else to as well. Well, Lauren, thank you for everything you've done. Congratulations. You're such a great leader. So great at what you do. Uh, I sleep well at night knowing that you're you're running the ship better than I ever did. Well, Robbie, you you, uh, you left big shoes to uh, to fill. So uh, thanks for your leadership. Metaphorically, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thank you very much, Lauren. Don't let that it. go. Thanks, guys. Don't let that go. <laughs> All right. This was fun. Thank you to everybody for listening to two episodes this week. If you're interested in hearing even more from our conversation with Al Franken, we got into a bunch of stuff about the way political sketches were handled uh, at Silent Live during his time there. Uh, And it's very funny and it's in our bonus. So if you sign up for WMN Politics Plus, you can hear that. Uh, Here's another thing we want to tell you, which is that you may remember that in the past we have done these episodes where we have somebody on prior to Thanksgiving with their family, prior to Christmas with their family, to help them prepare to go into that situation and deal with their conservative family members and the questions they're going to be asked and that kind of thing. That's been really fun. We want to do it again. Thanksgiving is coming up. If you think that you would be the right person to come on the show, or you have a relative that would be the right person to come on the show, or as we've done before, you want to come on the show with your conservative relative and have us work it out for you, Let's do it. You can give us a call at 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589, and you can sort of make your case as to why it should be you. You can also email us, m54 at wondermedianetwork.com to do the same. We look forward to hearing from you. As always, I'm at Jason Kander on Instagram and Twitter. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on the same. Al Franken is at Al Franken on Twitter. Lauren is at Lauren Bear, and that's B-A-E-R on Twitter. Our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch, Edie Allard, and Adesua Agbanile. Theme music provided by Kemet Coleman, and special thanks to Diana Kander. Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world? For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Varva Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on 
What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.